And now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, plural, for a drought. This is interesting to me because a lot of times we read over stuff and we just miss on some areas. And Simon answering and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will set down the net. I want to show you something here because Simon was not preparing himself for a miracle. Jesus spoke to him and said, let your nets down. Simon let his net down. And when he let his net down, the harvest was so big and so heavy that it tore his net. What if he would have prepared completely for the harvest and let all the nets down? He wouldn't have had to call his partners because he would have caught all the fish in all the nets, plural. My, my point here today is that God's wanting to bring us into a stage where that miracles are common in our life. Miracles are, are, are God's supernatural way, if you will. It's supernatural to us, but this is common for him. What we think is impossible, he makes possible. What we think we can't do, he says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And when they had, when they had done this, he enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ships and they, that they should come and help him. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Man. How'd you like to be on this fishing trip? <clears throat> now, we got, li got limits on redfish and speckled trout and all the stuff here. But, man, they they've got so much that their boats begin to sink. The harvest was so big that not only he couldn't handle, but the company that was with him couldn't handle the blessing either. I want to get our mind into a place of thinking, what is God wanting to do in my life and what is it that I need to do to prepare myself for the harvest? Am I going to approach this harvest in just a common mindset? Or am I going to approach this harvest in a spirit realm that I begin to see things as though they were, even though they're not? When I start looking at what God's wanting to do, he does things on such a big and grand scale that it would begin to blow our mind. How many times have we have missed the full harvest of what he's trying to bring into our life because we haven't prepared for the harvest? I think many times we skip out on, on, on preparing for the harvest and preparing what God has for us because our mind can't comprehend what he's really wanting to do. Here's Peter. Peter's all night toiling, trying to catch a fish in his nets, and he can't catch one fish. We have toiled all night long and caught nothing. So here Jesus comes out and says, hey, launch out and put your nets out for a harvest, for a drought. I mean, for a huge event that's about to take place if you just believe and me, and he says, we have toiled all night. The argument almost began to start. Hey, man, we've toiled all night long. But because you said do it, I'm going to do it. But he only lowers one net. My, my point, how many times do we just lower one net because we have worked this thing and worked this thing and worked this thing, and it hadn't happened, it hadn't, hadn't come forth. So in the natural, we're looking at what we have done when Jesus comes along and says, Set your nets down, because now's the time that you're going to start catching. And we miss and almost kills us because of the great harvest that takes place. The boats begin to sink. Making a point? Let's go, let's go into some other scriptures here this morning. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> I want to look down at uh, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So it's saying here, in order to get saved, 
you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, laid his life down, and became sin for us. In other words, he has paid the price for us to be redeemed. So in order for me to receive salvation, it's for everyone that believeth. If you believe, that's how simple this thing is, but it has to take faith to believe. I have to have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more of the word that I hear, the greater my faith can grow. So it says hearing and hearing. So it's not a one-time one time trip. It's a continuous staying in the word. I believe that there's some people that the only time that they really read the word is when the pastor gets up and says, open your Bibles to Romans and they read it a long line with the pastor, but when they get home, they put their Bible on the shelf or, 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 or they put up other apps on their phone and they don't read the word any longer until next Sunday. And then they read it again. That's not enough. It's not enough. It's, it, we have to read the word and meditate upon the word. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Are you tracking with me? The justified shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Those that are in right standing with God that have indulged in the word. There's a lot of things people indulge in. But I think as a believer, we need to indulge in the word of God. We need to create a habit of studying the word and moving into that. So when we're dealing with miracles or this exceptional event that God wants to bring into our life continuously, then faith is required. Jesus did everything by faith. And he's trying to teach his disciples to do the same, that they would walk by faith. And so the word of God is given to us to help teach us how to walk by faith also. We do everything that we can in our power. And then God comes along and does the impossible. So we have to apply ourselves. The word says that faith without works is dead. So I have to not only work my faith, but I have to work with my hands also to see things begin to come into my life. So faith without work. You can receive a prophetic word. You can receive insight from God of what God's wanting to do in your life. But if you don't work it, it's just going to sit there. I have to work it. Every day, every day, God wants to bring something into our life. And it, not just an event, but he wants to bring a miracle into our life. Jesus was and is our example. He became man, and yet everything he did, he did by faith. As he was moving by faith, miracles begin to take place. We see that from the first miracle that took place, and, and he tells his mother that's requiring him to perform a miracle at a wedding, and we know the story, he turns the water into wine, and he says to his mother, it's not my time. In other words, it's not, it's not time for me to start manifesting what I've come to manifest, and she says to the people that are around, do what he tells you to do. Just do what he tells you to do. I think that's important that Mary is saying to us, hey, you know what? You can receive a miracle and you can be a part of a miracle if you just do what Jesus says to do. Man, what a, what a thought here. A lot of people want to receive a word. And, and, and when you have a prophet come in the house, then everybody comes out of the woodwork. You don't see them all year long except maybe Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, but they'll come to church when a prophet comes because they want to receive a word, and they go out and they never do anything about that word that they receive. We had a prophet years ago come in, and a well-known prophet, and he began to start his message off. He says, I know many of you haven't been in church for a long time, and you come here to prostitute my anointing. And I thought, whoo. They, they, wanted, they wanted him to prostitute his gift, to come and bring pleasure for a moment, but never marry the vision. Never marry the word. 
All they wanted was the momentary pleasure, but never make a commitment. In our society today, we're not making commitments anymore. People just don't make commitments anymore. They don't want to buy a house. They want to rent. They want to, they want to live with someone before they make a commitment to see if it's going to work out. Let me tell you, <clears throat> you got to work on it to make it work. Go with me to John, John chapter 6. I don't want to get into that other stuff, so I have to change my verse here. John chapter 6. Look at verse 5 with me, if you will. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? If you can get a visual here, Jesus has now come out and he's on, on this shoreline and all of a sudden people are coming out of the out of the desert, they're coming out of the cities, they're coming out of all, all kinds of places, and, and he's now telling Philip, hey, Philip, you see all these people that are coming? How are we going to feed them? What, what are we going to do? When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he's testing Philip. Philip is now looking in the treasury and, and calculating the people and counting out the money so that he can go buy in the natural what Jesus is about to bring forth in the spirit. Now think about it just for a moment. Here's a miracle about to take place. Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he's now testing Philip. In our life, how many times is God testing us to see what we're going to do and how we're going to respond to his word by giving us a question? Hey, Philip, look at all these people. Look at all the bills you have. Look at all the situation that you're in right now. Man, a storm came in, blew your roof off. You've got all these problems, got all these issues that are taking place. How are you going to deal with it? You take a deep breath, get your checkbook out, and it's balanced to zero. And you're saying, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I have to go to the Word, because it's in His Word that life begins to come forth. And these He said to prove Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. And Philip answered Him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. In other words, there's not enough crumbs in this loaf that we have to feed these people. What are we going to do? Yeah, I think that's a lot of question today. What are we going to do? People's homes have been destroyed with Ida. What are we going to do? How are we going to go forward? What, what, how, what, why? I don't know. Everybody's scratching their head. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Here's a question again. What are they amongst so many? What, what, the little bit that I have, <laughs> how, how is it going to deal with what's going wrong? You know, I, I think this is some of the questions that people are asking today. But I want to encourage you because faith can change things. Verse 10 said, and Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was as much... There was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. 5,000 men. They've got, they've got five loaves, two fish, and two pence worth of bread. So when you put it all together, you still don't have enough to feed a family. You still don't have enough to even... This is a little boy's lunch. Two fish, five loaves. Uh, you know, we look at our loaves today, and they're sliced up, and we can make some sandwiches on that for about a week, maybe. I don't know, maybe for some of us, it might be two weeks, but for my house, maybe a week. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to his disciples. Look at this. Jesus is giving thanks for the bread and the fish. He's got everybody's attention. Now let's pray. Everybody bow your head and let's pray. You know, 
And now he thanks God for what he does have. I think it's important that we thank God for what we do have. He distributed it to his disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise, of the fishes as much as they would. In other words, how many fish you want, John? Amanda, how many would you like? Erica, how many would you like? And they would calculate, well, I've got four kids here. I've got, I've got a family here, so give me 10. Give me 15. Give me 20. Give me two. How much bread do you want? And here's the disciples now with their basket. Jesus now broke the bread, broke the fish, and put it in their basket and said, now y'all go out and perform a miracle. No pressure. No pressure at all. You're Jesus, and we're disciples. But isn't that what it's all about? Is to be disciples of Christ, to do what he says to do, to distribute to others that are in need, to do something to make a change in somebody else's life, which means that when Jesus breaks the bread and breaks the fish and puts it in your basket, your responsibility is to walk in faith. Now, they don't have the full two fish and five loaves in each basket. They only have a portion of fish and loaves. And now they're having to go out and distribute to the 5,000. You know, it's like somebody coming up and, 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 and the pastor says, hey, we got people that are sick in the altars. Hey, come up and pray with them. Me? You, wait, wait, wait. You want me to come down to the altar and pray for somebody that's sick or somebody that's in a wheelchair? <coughs> yeah. This is what Jesus is doing to his disciples, man. He's putting them out on the edge, and he's pushing them off the wall. Now, what is it that can stop us from moving into miracles? Condemnation of the heart. Something that we have done in our life that we identify as being sinful nature and saying, I'm not qualified. We disqualify ourselves because of our actions or what we have done or what we have been involved in. But doesn't the word of God say, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. We know the scriptures, we know, we know the word, but do we know how to apply it to our life? Because the enemy comes in to condemn, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he uses one of his tactics as condemnation and condemnation of the heart and causes us to believe, even though we're born again, even though Jesus' blood has covered our sins, to make us feel like we're still in sin. Now, you might have sinned last night, but the Word says He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That doesn't give us the right to just abuse grace, but... If we did stumble and if we did fall, all we have to do is jump up to our feet and say, oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our, of our sins. So that resets us back into being just. Am I making sense? The just shall live by faith. So when someone comes and says, hey, you can go distribute this. You can go heal this. You can go do this. You have to look at yourself as being just. And I'm living by faith. And therefore, because he has justified me, not justifying myself, but he's justified me, I'm going and lay hands on people, and they're going to be delivered. And that when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. In other words, God is not into waste. You catch what I'm saying here? He said, go gather it up that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Started out with five loaves, two fish, and they're left over with 12 basketfuls. I don't know about y'all, but in the natural, that doesn't add up to me. Because after 5,000 people have eaten from 
the five loaves and two fish. There should not be in the natural anything left over. In fact, before they got to the first 25, it would have been emptied in the natural. But Jesus defied nature, went into the realms of the spirit, and began to cause those things that are not as though they were. And 5,000 plus their family members were filled to the point that they couldn't eat anymore. And Jesus says, now go gather that nothing shall be wasted and 12 baskets full of bread is now brought in. Wow, what a, what a powerful moment where that Jesus is demonstrating the power of the kingdom. I, I want to I look at a passage, and, and, and I'm trying to remember exactly where it's at um, in Matthew. Uh, um, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, in the King James, it says, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Who is the you here? It's the church. It's the believers. It's those that are interested in more than just the natural. I believe there's a lot of people that go to church that are not interested in the supernatural. But I do know this, that there are a lot of young people, a lot of people that are interested in the supernatural, and they're searching after witchcraft and all this just to get power. But, but the church has sat back and we say, there's no need for that. Let me tell you, there's a big need for the supernatural to come into our life and the right kind of supernatural to come into our life. So he answered and said to them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. In other words, what God wants to do is open your eyes into a dimension that you have not seen maybe before. That you can move into that place where that you can see what he's wanting to do and not what this world is trying to dictate to you to do. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? I, I believe God wants us to move into the realms of the spirit. Now, where am I here? I'm in John chapter 6. I want to look at verse, uh, uh, verse t uh, 10 again and, and read that one more time to you. Um, and it says here, and Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And now there was much grass in that place. And the men sat down in a number of about 5,000. To me, five loaves. Man, you divide that thing up and that's one loaf per, per, per thousand. Not counting the family. But for a, a loaf for a thousand and their family. 5,000. Each one of them got a loaf. And they begin to multiply and increase. How many of you believe in God wants to bring increase in our life? Amen. Come on now, say amen if you believe that. Amen. I wanted to go to Romans chapter 1. And I want to look down at verse uh, 16, verse 17. <clears throat> verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is by the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, let's go, let's go into Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You've got you to gotta remember that the just shall live by faith. Amen? We're going to live by faith. Faith has everything to do with a believer. Faith is the currency of heaven. Come on now. We can, we can, we can, we can look in our pockets and start counting some things. Well, I could buy a loaf of bread. I can buy some milk. I could buy this here with the currency that I have. And the exchange is this currency that we have. The exchange in the spirit realm is faith. So God is moved by our faith. He's pleased by faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. Now, look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, I mean chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which doth eat so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the author and the finisher. Now, we're disciples of Christ, so we already have the example. He, he started this thing, <laughs> amen, and he wants us to finish this thing, but he's the finisher of our faith. In other words, when you start investing time in reading the Word, studying the Word, getting the Word in you, then he's going to help finish and complete this thing that you begin to mature into the person that God has designed you to be. That makes sense. So it's time for the church to mature. It's time for us to grow in God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Man, how can it say that that was a joy? <laughs> for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? When I begin to look at that, I have, to, I have to believe that Christ saw beforehand the end results. And that's where the joy came from. And then he endured the hardship of what he had to walk through to get to the place that his joy was fulfilled. Making sense? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We are so, in our life, sin conscious. We're sin conscious, and we've been taught to be sin conscious. But what we need to do is make the transition and understand that my sin is under the blood. So if God himself takes all of that and throws it into the, 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 the lake here where he forgets, why do we remind ourselves of the things that we have done? Now, yeah, we, we may have done some things that we should not have done. We, we, we might have entered into some relationships we should have not entered into. We might have done some things that we paid time for. And we've got those scars of those things. But as a believer, old things are washed away. All things have become new. And the only one that brings it up to us is ourselves and the devil. And if we can ever learn how to overcome what the enemy is placing before us and begin to believe who we really are, then we can walk in a dimension that we've never been able to enter into because of being so sin conscious. If somebody says, well, well, you know, we did those things. Well, we might have, but if they're under the blood, they're under the blood. Why do you want to keep pulling it out from under the rug? Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Peter was an apostle of Jesus. And uh, I want to go down to verse 3. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here it begins to explain to us what has taken place. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God that came in as a form of man and has taken all sin upon himself and paid the ultimate price by dying on the cross. They buried him, but that stone was rolled away. And he came out glorious to the point that the glory of God so covered him, he wouldn't allow anybody to touch him until he returned back to heaven. Man, can you, can you imagine this moment where that, that stone was rolled away and everybody's hope was lost when they rolled the stone and sealed it? 
Jesus died. He's dead. <laughs> but he didn't stay that way. He came forth. He went in the time that we thought he was laying there dead. <clears throat> he had everybody fooled because he was going through death, hell, and the grave to take the keys back, what the enemy had stolen, and now return it to the proper ones that it was designed for. That's you and I. So Jesus begins to ask Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? Some say this and some say that. He said, I don't, I'm not asking you what some others are saying. I want to know what revelation you have. And he says, thou art the son of the most high God. And he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father which is in heaven. So there is revelation that comes from heaven that brings us in it comes into the natural in our life that we literally begin to see things differently than the way that we were taught in the natural. Come on, somebody, we're going to see some things in the spirit. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and the reason it's because blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again has begotten us again, somebody say again, again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, if you can believe, you can receive. I can receive salvation when I believe what, it, what the Word says. Now this tells me that He set everything back in order the way that God intended for it to be in the first place. So you and I, have to make some adjustments here. And when I make the right adjustments here by the Word of God, I wash my mind with the Word. Why do I do that? So that I can change the way I think. If I can change the way I think and come into alignment with His Word, then I can change everything about my life. Come on now. I can change everything about my life. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. You get anything out of this? Amen. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to go to verse 3. <clears throat> blessed, is, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms in Christ. Should we read that again? Let's read it from a different translation. Let's look at it, King James, and see what King James has to say. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It says basically the same thing. So he has blessed us. Somebody say, I'm blessed. Come on, I'm blessed. And, and, and one of the blessings that I have is that I have all spiritual blessings that has come from heaven. Now, why don't we act that way? Why don't we deal with our life with that mindset in our head? We come to church, we amen, we hallelujah with a word like this, but do we take that word and be really begin to invest it in our life that in every dealing that I deal with, I deal with it from a higher level than what I, what I have been dictated to deal with it. When I say dictated, I'm talking about a world system that tells you, you know, you just got to struggle through life. No, I don't have to struggle through life because the word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. So I might have been born into a certain lifestyle or certain situation or certain condition, but I don't have to stay in that condition. I can now move from that and go to a higher place that God has for me. Come on. We have to start speaking to ourselves and say that God has blessed me with all spiritual blessings. In fact, say that right now. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places in Christ. These are scriptures that we need to have written down. That until we get it, we rehearse it every day. 
and put ourselves in that place. Blessed be the God of our Lord, our, our God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed me with all spiritual blessings. Come on. There's a lot of times when we say us or usins, <laughs> we, we begin to look at other people and say, well, they got more talent, they got more ability, they have more favor. No, he's blessed me. Blessed me. In other words, he's given me all spiritual blessings. Start convincing yourself and start believing what God is wanting to do in your life. Go with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, I'm going to look down at verse 22. And Jesus answering and saith unto them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. <clears throat> or could it, could it read in this manner, not just having faith in God, but for you and I to have God kind of faith? That doesn't put us in a category that we're God, but it puts us in a category of understanding that we're created in His likeness and in His image. So we need to move beyond this little kind of faith and move to big kind of faith, having faith like God. What did God do? He began to speak things into existence. He began to declare a, in, in a dimension that had no form, it was without form and it was void, and he began to speak the universe into ex existence and then begin to decorate what he spoke with other things, with you and I. Amen? Oh, I don't know about y'all, but I can, I can get excited about that. Having God kind of faith. God, having God's faith. That's the faith that, that he created all things with. <clears throat> now, I'm going to tell you, it opposes all human reasoning. God kind of faith opposes human reasoning. Go back, go back to the five loaves and two fish. All human reasoning was blown away at that moment because we start off with five loaves and two fish and two pence worth of bread. And now they end up with 12 baskets full. Not, not counting all the families that were fed by the, those fish. So it blows out of the water any natural reasoning. So Philip, he's trying to count money, trying to figure out how, how much he needs to go buy bread for everybody to eat. Jesus is asking him, but Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was going to stretch his disciples beyond their capacity and had them gather up. Y'all go get your baskets now, and y'all come by me. Y'all circle around me here, and I'm about to break this stuff. And so he blesses it, and he starts breaking the bread. And then he tells them, y'all go feed them. God wants to put something in our life, in our hands, in our basket, that we have the capacity to increase, that we can now minister to others that are sitting there in need. Come on now. Romans chapter 10. All right, that's not enough. We'll go to Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. So how do I get faith? Anybody, anybody, come on. How do I get faith? I got to hear the word of God. How do I hear the word of God? I, 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 have to, I have to sit there and read it. And if I can't hear it just reading it, I need to start speaking it so I can hear what I'm reading. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So I've got to rehearse it all the time in my life so that I can have the Word in me and ultimately become the Word of God so that I can demonstrate His Word through my life because I know it. <clears throat> Man, go with me to 2 Thessalonians. I got, I got hung up on something else right there for a moment. I'll have to work that out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 chapter 1, uh, verse, verse 3. 
We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith flourishes more and more, and the love of each one of you all for one another is ever greater. Wow, is that a contradiction to our world today? We've got stress, we've got wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation. I was reading this the other day, and, and in the translation of nation against nation, it, it means ethnic group against ethnic group. Isn't that where we are? We've got so much coming, coming at us that we're, we're protecting our ethnic group and we're coming against other ethnic groups. And, and if they don't agree with our ethnic group, then they're wrong and we're wrong and everybody's wrong. Nobody can speak anything right anymore. And doesn't the word say in the last days that those things that are wrong will be right and the things that are right will be declared as being wrong? And if you say that I love Jesus, you're wrong. But if I, if I say that I embrace all the things that's been coming down the pipe, Romans chapter 12, look at, look at this here with me. Maybe the last verse that I go through in this this morning. This is a consecration of a believer's life, of, of somebody that is trusting in God and loves the Lord. Verse 1, therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable, reasonable service. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. How do you know what's pleasing and not pleasing to God? By reading the word. It tells you. Everything that you need to know is in the Bible. I'm an electrician by trade. Used to do that all the time. And I had a code book. It's called the National Electric Code. And that's what you did your work by. We get air-conditioned people. We get various things. You got a code you got to go by. Now we have a code which is called the Holy Bible. It tells us how to live. I don't need to preach a clothesline message if you know that you're reading your word. Well, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world. Do not be conformed to this present world. What is this present world trying to do right now? It's trying to get everybody to conform to its rule. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may be, you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Now, that's the, the, the New International. I want to go to King James since King James is, is the authority here, right? I'm just, it's a joke. So if you've been in church for a while, you may understand that. But if you're just getting in, just let that pass. I beseech you, this King James, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Being transformed starts in the mind. The word says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. When you start looking at the word mind in that, it means soul. So be transformed in your soul, in your knower. There's things we think every day, but there's things we know in our soul. Our soul is the grand central station that commands the body what to do. It commands the flesh what to do. It will either adhere to the flesh or adhere to the spirit, but it makes its decision what it's going to do. And there's some people that will adhere to the Spirit on Sunday, but on Monday they're going to adhere to the flesh. But in this it says to renew the mind daily, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How I many of you want the perfect will of God in your life? 
I don't want, I don't want the permissible will. Well, I can get by by just doing this. No, I want his perfect will. What has he designed for me to walk in and to live in and to become? His perfect will. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book right now on, on destiny, and I'm looking at <clears throat> Joseph's life. I'm looking at David's life. I'm looking at uh, Gideon's life, all these different characters. And God had a destiny for them. Joseph had a dream when he was young. He saw his future when he was a young boy. He goes and tells his brothers, those that he thinks that he can trust, he tells them, and they were envious of his dream and thought he was crazy to the point that they sold him, they threw him in a pit, stripped him down, and sold him to a, a, a band of Mennonites that ultimately sold him to Potiphar to become a slave for Potiphar's house. One of the tactics that the enemy uses is he causes family to come against where you're going. If he can deal with you on that level and destroy you with family, he doesn't have anything else to do. But now he goes into Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife lies on him and tries to commit murder through character assassination. Second thing is he tries to accuse your character. Lies on your character. And then thrown into prison, which is a place of isolation. But the hand of God was on him, and he didn't give up on his destiny, and he got favor in the, in the prison. Even though it was supposed to be a place of isolation, the guards trusted him to manage the prison. <laughs> and then he's interpreting dreams for people in prison. He's just practicing his gift no matter where he goes. And as he's practicing his gift, one of them gets out, the baker gets out, and he's going in, and Potiphar says, I had a dream, but I don't know how to interpret it. And the baker says, there's a Hebrew in prison. I was with him when you threw me in there, and he interpreted the dream that told me I was going to come out, and the butler wasn't going to make it. This guy's pretty accurate. He says, bring him out, and he interprets the dream, <clears throat> and because of the interpretation and the wisdom that he had, he puts him in second command, which now he's in his destiny. And who shows up at the door? His brothers. Who's bowing down to him? The wheat, the shafts are bowing down. He's now serving the sun, the moon, and the stars that he saw in the dream. And he's now feeding his family because that was ultimately the destiny because God knew in advance that there was going to be a drought that would come that would cause everyone to be starving, and it opened up a door for his whole family to be rescued. Man, verse 3, For I say, through the grace, though the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You ever been around somebody that wasn't sober? Uh, I, I can tell you some stories. I had an uncle, uncle one time, and uh, we'd get around him, and, and he, he liked it. He, he, he bottomed up on that every night just about. And uh, we'd go to my grandmother's house, and, and he was there at my grandmother's house, and, and he'd get very liberal with whatever money he had left over. <laughs> I'm looking at my sister here remembering some of this. And my grandmother said this. If he offers you anything, you take it. You take it. If he wants to give you money, because he's just going to drink it away. So you take it. So he said, come here, come, come, come here. And he'd open up his pockets and start pouring it out. The next day, he didn't have any money. You know, he just got his check that first day, but the next day, he doesn't have anything else. Why? Because he wasn't thinking soberly. He wasn't thinking about his future he was, he was being controlled by a substance that caused him to think differently. Here it tells us, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man, the measure of faith. 
In other words, the person sitting next to you didn't get a bigger portion of faith than you got. I didn't get a bigger portion of faith than you got. You didn't get a bigger portion of faith than what I've got. The prophets didn't get a bigger portion of faith than any of us got. We all re received the measure of faith, which tells us that if we've all received the same measure of faith, then, then there are some people that's growing their faith and some people are hiding their faith and keeping it from growing. How do you grow your faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more that I hear the word, the more my faith is going to grow. The more that I wash my mind with the word, the more I come to an understanding or the revelation. Who do you say that I am, Peter? Oh, man, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. My father, which is in heaven, has given you this revelation. This revelation didn't come by flesh and blood, but my heavenly father. Man, you and I have the same capacity that anybody else has to receive revelation. Well, I don't have a theological degree. Well, there's a bunch of them that have a theological degree that's not exercising their faith. It's just become another course for them. But the moment you start taking Scripture and start adding the Spirit to it, your faith is going to grow. And when you start exercising your faith and you start telling your faith what you need to be brought in and you send your faith out, by speaking those things that are not, that they come in and begin to appear, and everybody goes, oh my goodness, what just happened? No, my faith just brought that. My faith just brought that here. Come on, every one of us has the ability to do that. Well, how do you do it? Read your word, it'll tell you. It'll tell you how to do it. It'll tell you how to extend yourself and move into a place where that God is going to use you. Faith. <clears throat> Faith becomes the courage that you need. Faith becomes the understanding that in the midst of a hell storm, that God gives you insight on what your tomorrow is going to look like. It's not over just because your roof has been peeled off. It's not over just because of a diagnosis of a doctor. It's not over just because your bank account is empty and you don't know which way to turn. It's over when you don't exercise your faith. But with the God kind of faith, you can start speaking things into your life and watching it come about. The end product, the end product of unbelief is destruction. But the end product of faith, appropriate faith in motion brings everything you need in your life. But you got to remember, faith without works is dead. So you can't just have your hallelujah time. You got to put some blood, sweat, and tears to it also and begin to cause it to come about. God gives you insight. God opens up the door, but you have to walk through the door. Does that make sense? And you have to deal with it with wisdom. And God gives you wisdom in the word. Amen? So the end product of unbelief is destruction. The end product of faith is breakthrough in your life. I'm going to finish with this here. <clears throat> when you see a woman with the issue of blood, she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. The if was, does she have the capacity inside of her to get through the crowd to touch him? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And she had to put the effort in pushing through the crowd. She knew where the healing was. She knew who the healer was also. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. But she had to push her way through the crowd and reach through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. She was putting work to her faith. And when those two came together in that sector where they came together of her touching and knowing her faith, something miraculous took place. And Jesus 
didn't even know about it until that second. Think about it. Because Jesus turned around and said, wait, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. And the disciples are saying, man, people are touching. They're thronging you, man. Come on, you know. I got to quit saying that. Come on, come on, man. (laughs) Everybody's touching you, Jesus. He said, but one touched me and virtue came out of me. In other words, power came out of him. She touched him. She moved away through the crowd to be able to touch him. What is it that you and I have to do to get to the place of our vision, coming to the place where our faith and our motion comes together to make that spark cause something to explode in our life? This woman said within herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. But she just didn't stand there. She put one foot in front of the other. She started pushing her way through the crowd. You can only imagine. But yet the fight that she had because she was already weak in her body. Spent all that she had. She had nothing left. Pushed her way through the crowd. And when she touched him, she was made whole that very same moment right there. Jesus says to her, woman, it's your faith. It's your faith that made you whole. So there's something about faith that can change our life if we put it in motion and we follow after it to know that God's going to do something great and glorious in our life. So I'm challenging you today to grow your faith more so than ever before in history, in our lifetime. We need miracles. Come on, we need miracles in our life right now. We need, we need God to shift things in personal lives, in our state, our nation, and in our world. <clears throat> I've got faith for it. But I can't sit behind closed doors with just my faith. I have to start doing some things to cause things to come, come forth in my life. If I'm wanting changes to take place, I might need to get a pen out and a letter and start writing some people and saying, hey, you need to stand up and be what's right, what you've been put in office for. We've got to take some action and begin to move. We can't just sit back and say, oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us. Oh, that's good. That's the first step. But the rest of it, we have to start putting some motion with our faith and start doing some work to bring some changes. We've sat as a church, I'm talking about from the turn of, turn of the century, and put our head in the sand. And we've allowed life to go by. And life went by. And we found that the Bible was taken out of school. Prayers taken out of school. They're trying to take the flag out of school. They're trying to do all that they can, even to brainwash our children. If you want some change in your life, and even those that are watching today, you want some change in your life, why don't you stand to your feet and say, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me in whatever capacity you want to use me in, whatever you want me to do, Lord. I want to be used of you. And allow him to begin to speak to you. Let him put something in your heart. And then begin to start working that that he put in your heart to do. Start doing it. Even though it might feel uncomfortable, it might feel strange to, to witness to somebody or to pray for somebody. But you know what? You never know what God is going to do until you start trusting him and stepping out in faith and saying, you know what? It can't happen through me anyway. It's, he's, I'm just going to be a vessel for him to use. So right where you're standing, right where you are, even in your home, if you would, just lift your hands and, and let's just begin to pray. God, use us. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're stirring in our hearts. And Lord, you see our heart. You see our hands today, oh God. And we're saying, Lord, use us. Use us, oh God, that we can perform those things that you want to bring forth in this earth. Lord, use us in such a way that we can speak, we can talk, we can write, we can do whatever is needed in order to bring change. Lord, touch your people today, O God, and move upon us, O God. Make yourself real to each and every one of us. Father, we need miracles. Lord, people in this world today need healing in their physical bodies. Father, this this plague, this uh, 
pandemic that has taken place. Lord, we ask you that you bring healing to people's bodies and even the ill effects of this virus, oh God. Lord, bring healing to them right now, Lord. Father, move upon each person today, oh God, that they would see the needs of others and reach out and at least begin to pray for, the, for them. Father, I ask you, Lord, right now that your Holy Spirit would stir something in our heart, in our life, oh God, that we would make a difference in somebody else's life. Move upon us today, Lord. And I ask you, Lord, that you would bring into our hands everything that we need to make a difference, not only in our life, but to make a difference in somebody else's life. Lord, change our world, oh God. Our world is so upside down in its thinking and its theology, oh God. Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you'd cause a change to take place all around us. And Lord, we give you praise. Lord, we give you glory. Lord, those that are hurting, those that are having issues as a result of this storm that has come through, I ask you, Lord, that you would charge their faith, oh God, and give them hope for tomorrow. Lord, send somebody in their life today to bring a change to them, Lord. Move upon each one of us, O oh God. And Lord, I ask you that your presence, Lord, would prevail in our life, Lord. Give us dreams and visions, Lord, in, in the night times and day times, O oh God. Begin to speak to us on another level, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. Move upon us, and we give you praise and we give you glory for it. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.